0: Hi everyone, welcome to One Question with Pastor Adam. And hey everyone, I'm Adam and I got a little frog in my throat apparently and I didn't bring any water. (laughs) We will make it through. I am Adam and welcome to One Question with Pastor Adam. And uh, One Question, here we are. We're going to explore one question that uh, has to do with faith, the Bible. Uh, one question that maybe you have sent me over Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And the whole point of this is that I consider myself to be a pastor to believers and doubters, to unfaithful Christians and to faithful atheists. And we are all trying to get through this crazy, messed up world together. And we have questions to explore. And One of those questions that we have to explore is that there is an election coming up. Maybe you have heard about this thing and hopefully you voted. Uh, By now, if you haven't voted, please vote and go put it in a box. If one, not a mailbox. (laughs) Because you can't mail it in by now, but in uh, one of those official boxes that you can go drop it off uh, somewhere in your community, you can Google and find where to drop those off at. So please go ahead and do that. Uh, But the question that we have today is is the topic of anti-fascism and the Bible is anti-fascist and so is the gospel. And this may come as a big surprise to you because uh, there is a lot of power in the Bible, especially in political rulers. And here's one of the things that is so important to understand about the Bible is that it tells the truth about political rulers of Israel and Judah And it tells the ugly truth. If you read the Bible, especially 1 Samuel, all the way through Chronicles, which are books of the Bible that uh, tell about the kings of Israel, you're going to find something that is really interesting. And that is this, that there is not one good king in all of the Bible. They're all corrupt. (laughs) They're all they're, they all tend to be fascists. And here's what I mean by fascists. Fascism tends to try to keep power through ultra nationalism, through some kind of xenophobia, through, uh, through scapegoating a common enemy. It tries to keep power and centralize power for those who are hold powerful positions and don't want to lose it. That's what fascism is all about. It uh, develops more and more power, more and more wealth, more and more corruption for themselves. And we see this dynamic happening in the Bible, and it's right there at the beginning. There's a huge warning about this uh, in the Bible, and you find it in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And I'm just going to read this passage to you because... It's so important when it comes to the Bible and politics. The Bible is prophetic. And what I mean by that is that it gives you this message that if you are a political ruler, your job is not to get more and more money for yourself, more and more power for yourself and for your friends. Your job is to help those who are marginalized those who are in need, including the foreigners in your midst. So here's here is the warning that we get right at the beginning of this process. This is first Samuel chapter eight. I'm just going to read verses four, probably through uh, nine, because this will give you a gist of it. Israel, it doesn't have a king yet. It's a nation. It's been ruled by people who are called judges. And what judges have done is um, not so much judges as we think of judges, but these are people who rise up to power whenever there is a need. Uh, They rise up to political leadership. And then when they're not needed anymore, they tend to disappear. Uh, It's a little bit chaotic, but uh, it it works uh, for a time. And then the people demand a king. And here is what the prophet Samuel says to the people who demand a king. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, you are old. Ouch, come on, ageism right there in the Bible. (laughs) It says, you are old and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations but the this thing displeased samuel when they said give us a king to govern us samuel prayed to the lord and the lord said to samuel listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you for they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being their king over them just as they have done to me from the day i brought them up out of egypt to this day forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voices. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And this is crucial. So what are the ways of the kings that are going to rule over them? So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to ruin and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyard and give it to his officers and his courtiers. He will take your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves." And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Ouch. (laughs) So here at the beginning of the, almost the beginning of Israel's history, Samuel says, you don't want to be like, you don't want to, you don't want a king. But everybody says, yeah, we actually want to be like, just like everyone else they, the people see that the other nations have a king to rule over them. And they think there's something really cool about that. They think that there's something cool about just like being like everyone else. And here Samuel says, if you're going to do that, the king is going to rule over you in ways that look a lot like modern day fascism. The king is going to, uh, the king is going to turn you into servants, into slaves. The king is going to be just like Egypt of old. So if you want to be just like all the other nations that rule through power over and against others, that power is going to snowball and it's going to lead the ruler to behave in ways of power over and against their own people. That's the warning that Samuel gives. And if you read the history of Israel and Judah, it's exactly what happens. There's no good king in all of Israel. Even the greatest king in all of Israel, a man named David, becomes corrupt in this way. Uh, Before I get to David, we'll just do the first king, Saul. Saul is made king over Israel, and he does exactly this. (laughs) And uh, he ends up amassing wealth for himself and for his friends. Uh, he doesn't care about the needs of the poor and the marginalized. In fact, he, he gains more and more wealth for himself, which makes other people, I mean, the wealth between the rich and the poor during this time was massive. If that sounds familiar to you, <laughs> we have the same issue today. And David grows up uh, during the time of Saul. And God turns away from Saul because Saul has fallen into this fascist way of leading. And David, God chooses David over Saul. And how does David respond in this moment to Saul? Saul sees that David is amassing more and more uh, prestige among the people. And Saul ends up trying to kill David. Uh, because this is how fascists work. They try to kill off or imprison or do something to their political opponents, right? <laughs> they try to demonize their political opponents and put them in jail. So what David ends up doing here is responding to Saul over and over again with nonviolence. David refuses to fall into fascism he refuses to mirror the fascism of his own political opponent and this is where you've heard you've heard that david had the heart of god this is where david has the heart of god david refuses to be the fascist that his enemy is He refuses to respond to violence with violence of his own. That is the heart of God. David is the youngest of all of his brothers. He's got nine brothers, I think. And he's the youngest of them all. This shows you that David is... Vulnerable. He knows what it's like to be vulnerable. David was the shepherd of his family's flock. He knows what it means to try to protect the sheep that are vulnerable. That is why God chose David, not to gain power through violence, over and against others, but because David had the heart of someone who knew what it was like to be vulnerable. And thus David's mission in political leadership, in being the king, was to rule in a way that cared for the poor and the weak and the marginalized, those who were most vulnerable. And David does this for a time and then he falls into trouble as you know there's as many of us we all do there's a bit of there's a bit of fascism within all of us we all have to resist that part within us that would love to rule through power, that would love to rule through selfishness. This is part of what's so important about the Bible is that there's a little bit of Saul in all of us. There's a little bit of David in all of us. They're bad kings throughout the Bible because there are bad things inside of all of us, and we all have to learn how to deal with it. And so David has these moments in his lives and in, in his life, and probably the biggest moment in his life was when he was looking out over his kingdom and he saw a woman named Bathsheba taking a bath and he demanded that she come to his room so that he could uh, have relations. Do you like that? This is the awkward moment of one question with Pastor Adam. (laughs) So that he could, so that let's call it what it is. He could rape her. Uh, that's what David ends up doing. Uh, Bathsheba doesn't have a choice in this situation. There's a power dynamic that is that is wrong in this situation, and David takes advantage of somebody who's vulnerable. Uh, and David ends up killing off Bathsheba's husband so that he is not an issue in this anymore. And this is corrupt. This is this is a fascist tendency within David, and there are consequences for this. In fact, this is the beginning of the end of Israel's monarchy. Uh, Because after this, David falls into all kinds of rivalries and violence with his own family, with his own sons. His own sons try to kill off David. There's a civil war within David's house because of this grasp for power. And after David uh, dies, His son Solomon ends up becoming king. And uh, you may remember a story where this woman, the Queen of Sheba, comes to Solomon to see his wealth. And the Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon and says, Wow, God has given you all of this wealth, all of this wisdom, all of this power in order that you might be just in order that you might give justice to those who are in need. And in the Bible, justice is not about punishment. Justice is about meeting the needs of those who are vulnerable. That is what the queen of Sheba says to Solomon. Your job is it is not to gain more and more power for yourself. It's not to gain more and more wealth for yourself. It's not about you at all. It's about how you help those who are most in need. That is the message that the queen of Sheba gives. She's this prophet from outside of Israel who follows the one true God. The queen of Sheba comes and says, this is your mission. And God has given you all of these gifts so that you can fulfill that mission. But Solomon forgets, he forgets what his mission is. And in fact, Solomon then becomes just like Egypt of old. He forces people into slavery in order to build his own temple. He amasses more and more wealth for himself. Solomon is one of the richest people who has ever lived. And he got that way because he forgot about the needs of those who are on the margins, the needs who are of those who are vulnerable. Listen to this. Uh, a little later, there's a king named Ahaz. And uh, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, is uh, alive during the king of uh, Ahab. And uh, Isaiah says this in chapter 10. Ah, you who make iniquitous decrees this is politicians. Those of you that we would say today who make unjust policies, that's, that's what Isaiah is talking about. Are you who make iniquitous decrees, who write oppressive statutes to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be your spoil and that you may make the orphans your prey." That's what the political leaders did during the days of Isaiah. It's what they did during all of Israel's history. And this is what is so important about the Old Testament in particular, is that it gives this, it doesn't, part of what fascism does is says, uh, our history is great. Uh, Part of what fascism does is try to uh, give a rosy version of your nation's history and says, we need to teach our kids all of the great things about our history and don't tell them anything that might critique our history. Why? Because we want everybody to believe that our nation is the greatest thing that has ever lived. That is part of what fascism tries to do. The Bible will have none of it. The Bible over and over again says that our political leaders messed things up. It over and over again says that those who were supposed to lead our nation in the ways of God completely forgot the ways of God. Because they forgot the need of the people. They forgot to care for those who were in need. This is the message over and over again in the Bible. You see it from beginning to end, and you see it in the Gospels too. The Gospels also carry forward this anti-fascist message. Uh, During the time of Jesus, there was a king named Herod, and Herod also amassed wealth by not caring about those who were on the margins those who were vulnerable herod was one of the richest rulers in all of israel's history in part because he became friends with other fascists <laughs> he became friends with rome and what herod did was to build these great giant buildings not only for israel but also outside of Israel. Herod had so much money. He amassed so much money that he would build temples and other large buildings for the Roman emperor because he wanted to cozy up to Rome. And the more that Rome was friends with Herod, the more that Rome would support Herod uh, if the people were ever to rise up and say, Hey, remember what your job is as a ruler, it's to care for us too. And so Jesus comes into this space. And when Jesus is called the Christ, when he's called the Messiah, this is a political throwdown. This when Jesus is called the Son of God. This is the gospel's anti fascist language. Why? Because in Israel during this time, there's one Messiah. There's one Christ. And that's Herod, the king, the anointed one. Herod is the anointed one. Herod is the Messiah, the king of the Jews. And these early Christians go around and say, Nuh uh, uh uh, Jesus is the true Messiah. The early Christians went around and said, do you want to know what it really means to be the king of Israel? It doesn't look like Herod. It doesn't look like someone who amasses more and more wealth for himself. It looks like this guy who performs this miracle for those who are in need by multiplying fish and loaves. Jesus doesn't say, uh, do you deserve these fish and loaves uh he doesn't blame the victim when he heals people there are stories including it with the fish and the loaves where people come to jesus because they're sick and they need some health care jesus doesn't say uh well did you get insurance do you have any pre-existing conditions jesus says oh you're in need I'm going to meet that need because I can. And then Jesus calls his disciples, his followers, to do the very same thing that he does, to go heal people who are sick, to feed people who are hungry. Jesus empowers his disciples not to gain power over and against others, but the power of the Holy Spirit is the power to help those who are in need. That's what the gospel is all about. When Jesus is called the son of God, this isn't just about the second person of the Trinity. (laughs) I don't want to take that away from anybody if that works for you. But do you know who was the son of God in first century Roman empire? The emperor was called the son of God. The Caesars were the sons of God. And so the early Christians went around saying, You want to know who the real son of God is? Eh, don't look for the son of God in Caesar or in the emperor. Don't look for the son of God in the one who wields the sword, who amasses more and more wealth for himself by taxing the poor. just to get more money for himself so that he can build bigger buildings so that he can uh, take over more land. Look to the one who gives his life so that others may live. Look to the one who, who is all about giving so that everybody can share in God's abundance. That's where you will find God in this world. And so... Friends, we have this election coming up and I hope you vote. I hope you vote because we don't live in ancient Israel, which is awesome because <laughs> I don't want a king. <laughs> but we do live in, if if you are voting and in the United States, we do live in a nation where there is uh, separation of powers, which is awesome. Uh, And I would like to keep those powers separate. (laughs) Uh, And I, you know, the judiciary is important and uh, we'd like to have that, keep that balance of power. And I am not under any illusions that any uh, candidate is uh, perfect. Perfect. But I do think that there are candidates who are more prone to fascism and less prone to fascism. <laughs> and I will not tell you which one that you should vote for. But uh, as we vote, just invite us to keep, uh, keep in mind what the Bible is calling us to do. To care for those who are most in need. Uh, and many of us are in need during this time. Many of us are uh, suffering from uh, our businesses closing down uh, because of the coronavirus. Wouldn't it be great if we had another stimulus check to help us through this difficult time together? Uh, Many of us are suffering from racism. Systemic racism that has been with us in the United States from the very beginning. I would just encourage you to think about that as, as we vote. Uh, You know, uh, there are some of us who would love to rule through uh, scapegoating immigrants. The Bible will have none of that. The Bible repeatedly says that you are to care for the foreigner in your midst. Leviticus 19 says that the foreigner, you are to love the foreigner in your midst as if that foreigner was one of your own people because they are one of your own people. So there's no place for fascism in in the bible it gets crit whenever it shows up it gets critiqued and uh that's what we should do too the bible is anti-fascist the gospel is anti-fascist we've got a few uh we've got a few comments and then uh we're gonna uh head out until next week um greetings everyone uh felipe says it's cool your english translation of the important elements and people on the Bible sound so similar to Spanish translations as well. Uh, I love your shirt, Adam. Thank you, Felipe. Uh, That's, that's cool. I don't read Spanish. I wish I did, but it's good to know. It's good to know that they're very similar. So, um, so thank you everybody for watching. And if you have comments or questions, I would love to hear them. And uh, you can send me any questions you'd like to discuss uh, at uh, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, either at the Raven Foundation pages, Clackamas United Church of Christ pages, or my own personal pages. So friends, remember to vote. And until next time, grace and peace be with you.